Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to talk politics. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. And welcome back to the program. Kevin Hardwick here. Uh, Bill Conrad, uh, Tonawanda Councilman and uh, Ken West Social Studies teacher, is uh, holding over as guest host, joined live in studio by Bob Klump, Canisius College pre-law advisor. Bob, welcome to the program. Thank you. I understand there was a lot going on in the Supreme Court this week, and I'm, I'm only being half facetious because I, I got to tell you, I was, I was so busy this week, and we were having siding put on the house. And the dog thought, was escaping, and I had a funeral to go to. I thought you were trying Binghamton. out for American Idol No, today. Well, you know, that, that's not going to work out so well. But uh, I honestly, I heard, I heard about protesters. I heard about Cory Booker. But I, I, I'm not making this up. I really didn't watch much of it. And that's why I'm so glad that uh, I'm joined uh, live on the uh, live line here at WBN by a former student of mine uh, and a former student of yours, Bob, Kevin Daly. Uh, Kevin is a Canisius uh, College alum. He's a Canisius High School alum. He is now the Supreme Court reporter for the Daily Caller, and he joins us now on the phone. Kevin, welcome to the program. Dr. Hardwick, Professor Klump, a uh, pleasure to be with you on the uh, Canisius College alum hour. <laughs> very good. Hey, very good, Kevin. Um, let, me, let me ask you, were you actually in the hearings? Were you in the room? Yes, yes, I had the great displeasure uh, of attending uh, all four days of, uh, of the hearings. It was quite a slog, as you can imagine. Let, let me ask you this. Uh, did anything that you went through or any courses you took at Canisius College or any experience you had there prepare you for what happened this week? Uh, you know, uh, covering uh, the Supreme Court and, and covering confirmation hearings is, is sort of a, a baptism by fire. Uh, there's a lot of uh, useful background information that, of course, one picks up in, in college classes. But at the end of the day, the uh, you know reservoir of, of knowledge that you uh, need to draw from to cover these things is, is so great that you kind of just figure it out as you go and, and over time develop confidence. On see, 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 Kevin, you didn't do well with that question because the correct answer was my course on politics and comedy. <laughs> right. Which, which you took, right? I did, yeah, I did. I think uh, that was you, you. That was a course where you were in the group that waterboarded a stuffed animal. Oh yeah, yeah, with uh, with Brendan Najem and yeah, yeah, that was it was exciting. So anyway, tell me, tell me about this. What uh, you know, you know, it started again. I didn't see it. Uh, it started off with uh, with a bunch of protesters even before anybody opened their mouth. Yeah, uh, actually, there were uh, demonstrations throughout the week. Last I checked in with the Capitol Police, there were over 200 arrests. Uh, you know, from from various uh, left wing groups, I have found that there's sort of a cadre of professional agitators that spends its time on the Hill uh, looking to disrupt proceedings like this. Uh, but there was a lot of tension in the room, both because uh, Democrats uh, staged a, a variety of, of what they build to be pretty dramatic reveals. Uh, that they thought would put Judge Kavanaugh in a very difficult position, and because their efforts were supplemented, um, you know, by these uh, by these demonstrations and by these outbursts. So some of my more seasoned colleagues uh, 
told me that these were the most uh, tense confirmation hearings that they had been in since Justice Thomas's hearings in 1991. Well, I, I, I mean, we sort of expect some of this at, at, at hearings, and, and you would expect that this one, since it is the swing vote on the court, uh, you had to anticipate some of this. At the end of the day, however, at the end of the week, how do you think that uh, Judge Kavanaugh did? I think that he emerged from these hearings uh, relatively unscathed and pretty much intact. Um, he, he was exceptional at, uh, at doing what any Supreme Court nominee should do, which is uh, giving very little away about their substantive views uh, while flashing their intellectual bona fides and their scholarly credentials showing great command of the relevant case law uh, and the relevant doctrine. We're, we're talking to uh, um, Kevin Daly, former student of uh, mine at Canisius College, who is now the Supreme Court reporter for The Daily Caller. He was in on those hearings. Uh, another, and again, I didn't watch much of him, but Bob Klump, uh, your former professor, uh, pre-law advisor at Canisius, sitting right next to me. Uh, so, Kevin, this isn't going to be as easy because he actually knows what's going on. Uh, and you have a question, Bob, for Kevin. Yeah, Kevin, uh, I, I watched much, though not all, of the uh, of the committee hearings. And one thing I was struck by in comparison to past hearings was the, the barely concealed, no, scratch that, not at all concealed overt hostility uh, on the part of uh, Democratic members of the committee, particularly Senator Whitehouse and, uh, of course, Senator Booker and especially uh, Senator uh, Kamala Harris of California, uh, the the term that comes to mind for her is the, the Madame Defarge of the committee. Frankly, were you surprised compared to the, uh, you know, compared to what you know and have seen about past hearings about the level of uh, of animosity toward the nominee? Um, you, you know, what, what was interesting is that uh, Democrats, you're right, did take a pretty aggressive tact with Judge Kavanaugh, um, particularly the lawmakers. Uh, whom you mentioned, but at the end of the day, all of them are secure in the knowledge uh, that Judge Kavanaugh is going to be confirmed. And in fact, um, even the, the somewhat dramatic steps that they, that they took to try to slow down these hearings seem to be kind of futile gestures. For example, you know, Senator Harris and Senator Booker at the beginning of, of each day would go through, um, you know, these, these lengthy objections that would take 45 minutes to parse uh, before the hearings could actually start. Um, and they made a lot of noise about uh, doing whatever they could to delay progress on the hearings and ensure that Judge Kavanaugh wouldn't be confirmed. And then after uh, going through this whole exercise, the, the hearing would proceed as usual. Um, so they would insist that they were taking some bold stands, that they were breaking the rules, that they were you know, releasing committee confidential documents uh, and breaking Senate rules in doing so. And, and at the end of the day, the, the hearings proceeded um, you know, pretty much as planned. I know there was uh, there was a moment involving Cory Booker that's uh, that's uh, made a lot of headlines. I, I I really I'm not kidding. I I don't know what happened. Uh, uh, can you describe for uh, the uninformed, as, such as myself, what uh, what he was up to? Sure. So um, on the first day of the hearing, Senator Booker asked Judge Kavanaugh uh, a series of questions about uh, affirmative action and work he had done on that front uh, in the Bush administration. He alluded to emails that showed that Judge Kavanaugh was not being forthright with respect to his views on those issues. Um, those emails were marked confidential by the committee, meaning they would not be released to the public. Uh, the following day, Senator Booker did release them. He leaked them to the New York Times um, and posted them on his website, claimed that he was violating Senate rules in doing so, and claimed that the relevant Senate rules actually provide that he should be expelled from the Senate for, for leaking these documents. So he was sort of daring... Uh, his Republican colleagues to take punitive action against him 
Uh, the problem with all of this was that Chuck Grassley, the two Republican chairman of the committee, had actually agreed to release the documents that, that Booker was referring to uh, the night before. <laughs> and uh, the Republicans on the committee claimed those documents actually went public at, at 4 a.m. before these, these leaks took place. So it, it appears that, that Senator Booker did not actually leak confidential documents and therefore did not actually leak uh, or did not actually break Senate rules. So he claimed that he was, uh, you know, embarking on this, uh, as he put it, I am Spartacus. Uh, but it, it's and, you know, and, that's, and Bob, that's why, okay, I get it now, because Bob, you said what should have happened then when he said, I am Spartacus? That maybe all the other members of the committee should have arisen and <laughs> said they were Spartacus <laughs> uh, as well. Um, and Kevin, following up on that, uh, Cory Booker, another thing he did that didn't attract quite as much attention, but I'm wondering uh, what your reaction to it is, uh, when a reporter for the Wall Street Journal attempted to uh, interview him uh, regarding what we've just talked about, uh, he uh, apparently, referring to the speech or debate clause of the Constitution, said that the reporter was violating uh, the Constitution by seeking to ask him that question. Uh, and, you know, Cory Booker, I looked him up. He has sterling academic credentials, including, I think, a law degree from Yale. Uh, isn't it astonishing, um, uh, continuing with this, Frankly, what what impressed me was the level of lack of knowledge that some members of the committee had about about some basic constitutional and legal matters. And in Booker's case, uh, seeking to incorrectly uh, interpose the speech or debate clause. But in other cases, too, Senator Whitehouse had to be taken to school by Professor Amar on the recusal rules that apply to uh, Supreme Court appointees. Were you surprised at all by the um, the lack of uh, depth of knowledge, apparently, of some of the members of the committee? Um, not especially. Uh, I've been covering uh, judicial confirmation hearings at, at various levels for uh, a couple of years now, and I've found that even though there are some uh, very impressively credentialed people on that committee, uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal, for example, clerked for uh, Justice Harry Blackman on the Supreme Court, there really is a, a serious depth of, of knowledge about uh, the Constitution or about uh, law generally. Um, and, you know, in, in fact, what was interesting about this hearing was how little Judge Kavanaugh's own uh, judicial writings featured in the Democratic questioning. Um, the Democrats did not ask him uh, very many questions about uh, cases he's waited on at all. Their inquiries really focused on work he did for Ken Starr uh, and work he did in the Bush administration, which is surprising because there's, you know, an enormously rich body of work from which uh, to draw to ask Judge Kavanaugh questions and, and, and some genuinely controversial positions that he's taken in there, too. Um, but, uh, but, but there were very few questions on those points. If you're just tuning in, we're talking to Kevin Daly. Kevin is an alum of both uh, Canisius High School and Canisius College, former student of mine, former student of Bob Klump's, uh, uh, Bob uh, pre-law advisor sitting next to me. Uh, Kevin, uh, only time for one more question. We've gone long, the, long this segment, but I think it's uh, it's been worthwhile. What uh, you know, you know, uh, uh, I go, I watch, uh, plan to watch the Bills this uh, afternoon, and I've watched the Bills for years, and I've been in the stadium, and I know when you're in the stadium, you can pick up on some things that maybe you're not picking up on TV. We can watch these uh, these hearings on TV, and we can certainly see everything that we're talking about. But uh, is there something special about being in there? Are there things that you, you see that, uh, that uh, you want to share with us? Um, well, I, I do appreciate the opportunities to uh, confer with, with some of my more seasoned colleagues who can help uh, you know, keep things in proportion and, and add needed context to certain things. Um, but having easy access to these, these lawmakers is, is actually quite useful. 
<clears throat> one really revealing moment for me, for example, was when uh, Senator Dick Durbin, the number three Democrat on the committee and the minority whip in the Senate, came into the hearing room the first day and he was approached by a couple reporters. And uh, one of them from The New York Times said, Senator, how much noise do you plan to make today? And Durbin kind of shrugged and he said, ordinary noise, I guess, ordinary noise. <laughs> giving sort of giving the game away uh and and that um you know even though there's there's so much to uh to discuss uh, about this hearing uh does really underscore the point that that we just endured four days of kabuki theater very good well kabuki I, theater i like kabuki that, theater i, like I think comment. i think that's uh as opposed to four years at canisius college which was anything but right right no of course not of course not. kevin thank you for taking time out of your sunday morning we appreciate that uh that was kevin daly from the daily caller a former student of mine and uh, bob's at canisius college uh when we return uh bob uh, clump and uh, our our co-host here bill conrad will be talking more about the supreme court we'd love to hear your calls on the supreme court on what you saw this week and what you'd like to see uh coming up do you think he should be confirmed uh give us a call 803-0930-803 8030930 in the meantime i am kevin hardwick you're listening to hardline on news radio 930 wben and welcome back to the supreme court hour on hardline this uh, this week uh, again we're doing alternative buffalo bills uh, pregame show <laughs> uh, bill conrad from the town of Tonawanda council in kentown west is uh, here uh, bob clump from canisius college pre-law advisor and Professor, there. Uh, let's uh, let's go to the phones at eight oh three oh nine thirty. Let's bring in Tom in Buffalo. Tom, thank you for holding. Welcome to the program. Hi, gentlemen. It's easy to attack, to attack Cory Booker on the "I am Spartacus" moment, mm -hmm. but nobody seems to be mentioning that Senator Corbin threatened him right before that. Now, if it was public knowledge, or at least in the higher depths of the Republican Senator Caucus, that these documents had become unconfidential. How come Senator Corbin didn't know? And then my second question would be: Well, hey, hang on, Tom. Let's let's answer your first question before I forget it. Uh, I have the memory of a fruit fly, uh, Bob. Uh, since I wasn't watching much of this, uh, uh, you, I mean, it, it, that's a good question, right? I, I I'm not not aware. I'll take your word for it that Senator Cornyn of uh, of Texas apparently threatened him. Uh, whether that might have had to do with you know, he had he had uh, Senator Booker had intimated that there might be other emails and documents that he was going to release beyond those that had been approved by the committee for for disclosure. I'm only speculating here. Maybe that's what Senator uh, Cornyn was referring to, but I just don't know. Tom, you had another question. Yeah. What's the point in not lying to Congress at this point? Nobody seems to ever get in trouble for not for, for lying to Congress. I disobeyed a U-turn uh, sign the other day in West Seneca. <laughs> uh, Bob, Bob, uh, Bob, do I have you to read the... him his rights? Here? <laughs> uh, so he... what's, the point, what's the point in not lying to Congress? Well, what are you referring to? Are you yeah. suggesting that, uh, that Judge Kavanaugh lied in his responses to members of the committee? Jeff Sessions lied to Congress. Brett Kavanaugh has lied to Ka Congress five times, they found out already. Now, and... it, if nobody's going to even care about this stuff, is the whole thing a charade? 
Well, the whole thing, uh, as was previously suggested, uh, Kevin Daly uh, termed it, I think accurately enough, Kabuki Theater. The reality is that for a very long time now, in fact, going back to the um, to the time at which uh, nominees began to appear before the Judiciary Committee, and that, by the way, only began in 1925 when Harlan Fisk Stone was nominated to the Supreme Court. And the reality is that the Kabuki dance consists of members um, of the nominee giving evasive responses, which you might term uh, lying, uh, I suppose. They give evasive responses uh, because they know the areas to avoid, and uh, that's been going on for a long time. There's the misconception that um, the practice of evading uh, committee members' responses began only, only recently. Uh, but it didn't. Uh, Bork was the exception. And you know what the result was with Bork for being candid. Bork has become a verb. Listen, Tom, uh, do you listen to the program on a regular basis? Yes, I do. So when I... You, no, no, I, I, I got to... Unfortunately, I got to cut you off because we're going to break. But please, a, I, w- I want you to call in more because this has been a great call, great questions, some absolutely. great dialogue. Uh, and I, I thank you for that. But unfortunately, I got to let you go because we're up against a break. Uh, that was Tom. If you want his line, 803-0930, the number to call. I'm Kevin Hardwick. You're listening to Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. And, and, and welcome back, I think, to Hardline. Joe Beamer, what is that? Solid by Ashford and Simpson. Come on. No, I, I'm not familiar with it. Um, uh, this is what happens when your producer only gets two hours of sleep because he's coming back from a Virginia Tech home game. If you mean playing awesome music. All right. Whatever, I guess. Uh, listen, uh, Kevin Hardwick, Hardline, uh, sitting here with Bob Klump, uh, pre-law advisor at Canisius College, Bill Conrad from the town of Tonawanda Town Board, and Ken, Wa- Ken West, social studies teacher. Uh, uh, Bill, we were talking during the break recently uh, yep. uh, after Kevin Daly's uh, call-in about uh, about the, the theatrics uh, surrounding the Kabuki, the Kabuki, the Kabuki Theater. theater. You mentioned comment. the handshake. I yeah. mean, well, I, the only thing I've been seeing, you know, you, you go on social media, you look at some of the press, and it just seems people are obsessed about handshakes with, you know, again, Parkland uh, parents, survivors of the, the mm-hmm. massacre. And, you know, hand symbols by Nina Bat or Zena Bash. Yeah, yeah the white went, power thing. Yeah, and, I mean, and just no. like taken back that a Polish-Mexican-Jewish-Cram-parent person would do that you know and then they're just focusing on this and, when, and that's where the just, focus is and, yeah. and that's why i like so much about the the previous caller tom i think it was tom from yeah. buffalo so he's a regular listener I, I i think that's his first call yeah uh, it, it was really good and we had some nice dialogue going back with uh with uh, bob uh clump here uh Absolutely. obviously different sides of an issue but that's what this show is I, supposed to be about the one thing so, i was taken back with was uh the ben sass comment in the opening remarks i, I really yeah. thought he had a, a dynamite presentation there as a social studies teacher you know that's good. So anyway, as I said, uh, the, the the bar is high for the callers now after Tom's call. eight zero three zero nine thirty. if you dare take a line. Uh, let's go to a regular caller, John in Rochester. John, welcome back to the program. Hey, Kevin. Hey there. Listen, uh, I, I got a, uh, I'll make a quick statement. You know, that I saw part of the hearing. It was so disgusting, the outrageous behavior by not only the protesters, but the senators was just unbelievable. When you think when you think about uh, when Sotomayor and Kagan uh, went through these hearings, these two are leftists, and uh, they were treated really uh, well by the Republican 
on, on that committee, and, and this this is a this is outrageous. Senator Schumer, I guess, who put this thing together, uh, should be uh, disciplined for this. And that's what, one of my questions: Should uh, the Republicans and maybe some Democrats call for a censure of the behavior of some of these senators? Hmm. I, uh, Bob, do you. I mean, I mean, John, isn't this to be? Uh, haven't we come to expect this? I mean, uh, you know, Bob, Bob Clump goes back to the Bork hearings, and uh, and he was making a point to me during the break and to Bill mm-hmm. that uh, you know that 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 Bork actually took it seriously, and that was his downfall. I I don't disagree that uh, some of the behavior on the part of some members of the of the committee was pretty. Um, uh, pretty uh, pushing the envelope in terms of senatorial courtesy. One thing that would account for that doesn't necessarily excuse it, but is the understanding that this seat with, uh, with Kavanaugh replacing Justice Kennedy from the Democratic standpoint, this is the seat that's going to move the court firmly to the right on a whole host of issues. So, so it's going to be nonsense on steroids. Exactly. The usual nonsense, but on steroids because it is the key seat. Hey, hey, John, while you're here, let me let me throw this to, to, to Bill and to, uh, to Bob also and whoever wants to jump in. Um, you know, the Democrats would say, well, you know, part of this, I mean, you t- John, you talk about the treatment that, uh, that the last uh, Democratic nominees got was much better than this. Of course, the last Democratic nominee, and, and the Democrats make this point, was Merrick Garland. Yeah. And he really got, uh, you know, he didn't even get a get a uh, get a how do you do uh, uh much less uh much less hearings right mm-hmm. i mean you've heard that point john right yeah but that was procedural uh it, it, to me it it's different than the behavior that was uh when they went to step step two of actually getting uh an appearance before this uh committee uh that was outrageous uh the Ireland mm-hmm. thing was a procedural thing but he didn't even get he didn't even get a hearing. I mean, I think that's the point, isn't it? I didn't hear the whole. I, I, I'm sorry. He didn't even get a hearing. That's the point. Uh, you know, you would you, Democrats are making the point. Well, give him a hearing, and if you don't like him, vote him down. But yeah. at least give him the. You know, he was nominated, right? But but the, it was a procedural hearing. The uh, Democrats have done it in the, in history also. I, mm-hmm. I it's a different situation. Okay, he gets. Garland got to that position, as Kavanaugh is right now, uh, the, the Republicans would have treated him with respect, as they do with Sotomayor and uh, Kagan, who are mm-hmm. leftists. Now, Merrick Garland I, is, is more conservative than uh, Kagan and Sotomayor, but to me... I think that was picked on purpose for that point. Oh, yeah. He, it, was a, it was a Republican Senate. That was someone who under normal circumstances should have gotten confirmed. In fact, I, I called him the biggest loser in the 2016 election. <laughs> He's quite moderate. Because had Hillary yeah. Clinton won, they would have confirmed him in a minute. The next yeah, day he absolutely. would have been confirmed because they'd would say he, he, would he, he'd, be, he'd be better than what Hillary's going to throw would Hillary, out there, right? I was say, like Hillary wouldn't even have had a chance or a, wouldn't a, even have Exactly. Hey, John, we gotta got to move on. But as always, thanks for, uh, thanks for listening and thanks for the call. Go Bills! Go, Go Bills, Bills, indeed. Yes, this is... Uh, John is listening. He knows that this is our alternative pr- uh, uh, programming uh, pre-bill show. Let's uh, let's squeeze in another call before the break. And by the way, if you want to get in, the number again is 803-0930, talking all things Supreme Court today. Tony, uh, Tony and Clarence, welcome to the program. 
apparently, everybody there, including Mr. Conrad, has no idea of the lies that Mr. Kavanaugh had spoken of in 2006 when he uh, when he lied about not participating in a uh, meeting involving torture. They have the article. They also, what you don't know, Mr. or not thinking of is that the after he was had that uh, had the confirmation hearing, Senator Lay and Senator Durbin referred his uh, testimony that he lied on to the Ethics Committee of the of the Senate and also to the Inspector General. Mr. Kavanaugh has lied at least three times about different things. Now, one thing that's very important here is. Mr. Kavanaugh participated in a decision that was trying to deny a 17-year-old girl in Texas her right to have an abortion. The court in Texas uh, granted her that permission. Mr. Kavanaugh, in that decision, uh, which all the other justices on the on the court in Washington went against him, said that she needed to give a sponsor. Was that the uh, was that the where he wrote the abortion on demand comment? Is that what you're referring to? That's the, that's not the more the abortion on a ban. It was a the Texas law allowed her to have an abortion. But, but he wrote in his briefs, I think uh, that it was like huge. Yeah. I think Murkowski and Collins better pay attention. He also lied about the fact that he he thought he's saying that Roe versus Wade is is uh, is some kind of uh, in law. You know, Set, settled law, right? He said it was a uh, it was precedent on precedent, having been reaffirmed in Planned Parenthood versus Casey. He did, in fact, say that. Yeah, but he lied about the fact that he wrote an article in two thousand three that said that it is possible for the justices to overturn Roe versus. Well, uh, let me let me clarify you there. He did indeed uh, write. That that it wasn't, if you'll allow me, he did indeed write that um, several members of the court had taken the position, referring to Justice Thomas and, and two of his colleagues, that Roe versus Wade was not settled law. He was simply characterizing how other members of the court and scholars regarded Roe versus Wade. That was not a statement of his own, as he explained, a statement of his own understanding as to whether Roe was settled law. And welcome back to our alternative uh, Buffalo Bills pregame show, Hardline. Uh, Joe Beamer having some fun there. I, I owe, uh, before we before we get back to the calls at 803-0930, I have to give an apology to producer Joe Beamer. Um, Joe is put on his Buffalo Bills jersey, by the way. You can't see that. It's radio, obviously. But uh, we have a texture coming in. I was critical of his last bump music, uh, and a texture writes in, says, solid as a rock, go Joe, you are a universal music player, you hit on everybody's music, keep it up, kudos to you. Uh, so that was from Joe's mother. No, uh, thank you, Texter. Anyway, yeah, Joe, actually that looks like Joe's phone number up there. Yep, okay, yep, all yep. right, all right. Listen, uh, we'll get back, as I said, to the, uh, it's all Supreme Court uh, till the top of the hour. Uh, in studio, uh, Bob Klump, pre-law advisor at 
Canisius College. Bill Conrad, my co-host. Bill, you have a question for Bob. Yeah, Bob, I, one of the conversations that uh, has been coming up, and I just want your thoughts on this, is is that the, the nominee had not been on any of President Trump's original lists. Where did, where did he come from? I, I, he wasn't on the first list in 2016. He wasn't on the list in 2017 that he said, if I'm president, you know, this is the person I'm going to go with. Where, where, where did he come from? Well, I actually thought Kavanaugh had appeared on one of the lists. But in any event, Kavanaugh uh, was uh, a logical uh, Republican appointee. In fact, the point has been made that regardless, if, if another Republican had won the White House, whether it would have been Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio, Kavanaugh would have been high on the list of potential appointees because he checks all the boxes for a Republican appointee. He has a significantly lengthy judicial record that you could make a judgment, a reasoned judgment about how he's likely to vote on key issues on the Supreme Court. Uh, he has the requisite experience, the stellar academic background. He followed the traditional route that uh, almost all members of today's Supreme Court have followed in that he had clerked for uh, the Supreme Court himself or, in his case, uh, for a federal circuit judge and then for the Supreme Court. He is a classic Washington insider, and, and quite literally, he even grew up in the D.C. area. His entire experience, professional experience after Yale Law School, has been in D.C. He worked in the Bush White House, as you know, in a couple of, uh, of important positions. Uh, so it's, it's logical. And, and given the respect that, you know, Professor uh, Akhil Reed Amar, one of our previous Reichley lectures at Canisius, I might note, uh, <laughs> who is a Democrat and who has supported all Democratic nominees during his testimony, he said that from a Democratic standpoint, Kavanaugh was as good a judge as you are going to hope for. So he was a logical appointee uh, in all respects. Bob, Bob by way of full disclosure, we should uh, let people know you're a member of the Federalist Society. Was, was uh, Kavanaugh on your list? Uh, Kavanaugh was certainly on my list. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, the role of the Federalist Society in uh, nominations, particularly under Trump, but it goes back to President Bush as well, and President Reagan for that matter, the role of the Federalist Society in kind of screening nominees and, and promoting them. Uh, individual members of the society, the society as a whole doesn't endorse well, anybody, but has been made we'll, has been made clear. We'll get back to calls sure. in a minute, but you have a follow up question. Well, just like? you know, it's funny. You know, we talk about Kavanaugh, and a lot of people on the left are are, are quite worried about you know, especially women and so on about rights. Uh, but is that any guarantee, though? This is something I, I like to point out to my classes. You know, I think they said the same thing about Judge Souter, right? You know, that he was going to be this, he's going to come in, he's going to overturn yeah. Roe v. Wade. And then all of a sudden... Not so much. Not so much. And then, you know, I, I think I remember hearing things like, not another suitor. Well, Earl Earl Warren. Earl Warren, yeah. Yeah, well, I'd make two points. Uh, uh, Eisenhower appointed Earl Warren. Yep. Uh, two points in response to that. Uh, Souter had, was on the New Hampshire Supreme Court. Um, he had... Uh, not had to address any any significant issues of federal law. Okay. So he was truly an unknown. Kavanaugh, on the other hand, has uh, 300 decisions during his years on the D.C. Circuit. As to uh, women, um, you make an interesting point. One of the things that was noted during the hearings is that Kavanaugh, rare among federal judges, a majority of his law clerks have been women, and he's made significant outreach to minority well, applicants for his clerkship position. Well, that was another box position. that he checked. Yes. He mentioned checking Right, exactly. Let, let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Ed in Buffalo. Ed, welcome to the program. Thank you for holding. Thank you very much for taking my... You're welcome. Gentlemen, all of you, this is important to me. I'm a 78-year-old senior citizen. The Supreme Court that our founding fathers created, it's not the Supreme Court 
that we have today. It is too doggone political. All candidates should be had the chance of being interviewed. Mitch McConnell would not allow that when our former president introduced him. What in the world's going on in this country? This country, and another thing before I let you go, on the back of our dollar bills or any of our money, in God we trust, when are we going to start trusting God in our decision-making? I'll hang up and let you guys in. Uh, all right. Thank you for Thank that you. Uh, question, Ed. Uh, he makes a point that uh, it's not the court that our founders intended. It's much too political. But you go back to 1803 and Marbury versus Madison. You want to talk about a political decision. There was a shrewd political decision there when the chief justice uh, marshal, yes? Yes, and uh, and there were there were later incidents of that, most notoriously with the Dred Scott decision where Chief Justice Roger Tawney and his colleagues on the court thought that they were going to bring the slavery issue um, to an end uh, by announcing the decision that, you know, uh, African-Americans weren't citizens, couldn't become citizens, and that Southerners had the right to extend slavery into Western territories. I can't conceive of a more overtly political decision than the court's decision in the Dred Scott case. You, you, we go back to the, you know, Ben Sass's comment and, and just saying that, the, you know, we're having protests outside of the Supreme Court and so on. And he uses the co- comment, and I think the gentleman who just called would probably share this, we need to, quote unquote, restore a republic. What's your thoughts on that? It, has the presidential power gotten out of hand? Um, I think that uh, the, the issue came up during the hearings in terms of this, uh, this strange thing known as the unitary executive theory that Kavanaugh was accused of, of endorsing. There's a lot of misconceptions about it, but I personally believe that presidential authority has uh, greatly exceeded what the, what the founders intended. And part of the reason for that is Congress's fault, because Congress, rather than dealing with tough issues— tough regulatory issues, what Congress has preferred to do, at least going back to the New Deal era, is to delegate authority to executive branch agencies, paradoxically. So Congress itself has been uh, has been a party to uh, this accretion of power uh, by the executive. You know, though, getting back to Ed's point, the point he was making, he was frustrated with how political the court has become. And then again, I start off with Marbury versus Madison. Sure. But still, I, I, I think Ed did bring a, bring a point. If you think of the three branches of government, don't you want the courts to be the least political? Oh, of course. And are they? Uh, yes and no. I yeah. mean, the the, the uh, I, mean, they've I think they've become that, a de facto legislative branch, haven't they? I mean, well, well, they have from time to time. Yeah, and of course, one of the explanations as to why the Democrats were so um, super hyped up for this hearing is because their default position on a lot of issues has been to assume that a liberal or at least moderately liberal Supreme Court will do their work for them in terms of creating new rights and forcing new rights and the like. So they have been, uh, you know, complicit, I suppose, in in um, uh, in building up the court uh, as a political body. Oh, both sides, for sure, have been. We we, we we only have about forty seconds left. Uh, producer Joe Beamer is in a three point stance, waiting to get out of here. He's got his <laughs> Buffalo Bills shirt on, waiting for the game. Um, just just quickly, uh, uh, predictions. Uh, when when's this? confirmation going to happen it's going to happen bob right oh it's going to happen when's it going to happen and i think as mitch mcconnell indicated 
it'll happen soon enough by the end of September so Kavanaugh will be able to take his seat the first Monday in October when the court convenes. Uh, I want to thank my guests, uh, 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 Bob Klump, for uh, for joining us and enlightening us. Also want to thank my guest co-host. I guess we'll ask you back some oh, other time. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, Bill Conrad. i got to take you for breakfast uh, It's now. been a great hour. Thank you to Joe, uh, Joe Beamer, producer. I'm Kevin Hardwick. You've been listening to Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.